peace comes Augustus, comes Augustus, Augustus Octavian, and he takes over. And it's actually Augustus that's in, that's in charge during the times of Jesus. It's actually Augustus that is the, the king of Rome during the times of Jesus. Of course, Julius Caesar just was, and he's still fresh in the memory. But this is the, this is the backdrop. This is the context. The two kings of Rome, you have Caesar, dictator, angry figure. Then we have Augustus that comes onto the scene. And then we have this other supposed man named Jesus, and, and he comes preaching this new kingdom, which is now the kingdom of God. The world upside down. The upside down world. And like I said, Caesar, he's there. He, pre- he, he preaches, sorry. He leads from a position of authority, dictator type. Whereas when Augustus comes onto the scene, Augustus does something very, very important. And I know this is maybe a little bit boring, but just stay with me because it's going to make sense. Augustus does something that's called as Pax Romana. Pax Romana. And perhaps you've heard it before, maybe you've seen it written, maybe as some, some you know, um, slogans for certain things or in some mementos, but, but Pax Romana basically means the peace of Rome. Roman peace. So you have Caesar, he comes and he's, he's instilling this dictator-like figure and Augustus comes onto the scene and he wants to instill one thing and one thing alone and that's peace. That's peace. And he creates this, this economic road between, you know, all the countries and the, and the empires and, and he basically makes the world very, very small. And what I mean by when he makes the world small, he makes there lots of links, there's lots of peace between the people, there's lots of trade happening, people are going up and down the M25 and the A12 and they're, and they're delivering goods and, and everyone's happy because Augustus has come to deliver this peace. And the reason why I say peace is because it really wasn't quite peace, it, it comes across as peace, but it was peace only if you were listened. If you didn't listen, then it was death. So that was the choice, basically. I mean, we see both with Caesar and Augustus, they both were not godly men. And they led from a position that's so different. Caesar from a, from a very forward, aggressive stance, whereas Augustus from a, from a more laid back, from a more peaceful stance. But the end consequence is still the same. You don't obey, you die. So Caesar and Augustus. And, and, and it's actually because of this Pax Romana um, the Bible says actually in um, Galatians 4 verse 12, you know, in the fullness of time, God sent his son. You see, this is the backdrop for the New Testament. And I want you to see how the different dynamics are working here. As Augustus has sent out Pax Romana, as he sent out the peace of Rome, the world has become smaller. Countries are more closer to each other. And as a result, when Jesus comes onto the scene and Christianity really blooms and blossoms, That is why Christianity is able to spread so quickly in the space of just one generation. You see, before it would have taken generations for something like this to spread, but because of of Pax Romana, because of the way things are so tightly knit now, because the Roman Empire is so far-fetched and so interconnected, the gospel is able to spread like wildfire. It spreads in just one generation. And, and, And the... And, and, and this is the backdrop for what we see happening in the New Testament. So like I said, I want you to take your Bible with me and turn to the book of Acts. Turn to the book of Acts. And of course, Acts written by Luke. And it, and it, and it basically talks us through 
the history of the early church, beginning first with the, the disciples and Peter, and then from about chapter eight and nine, um, we begin with the, the disciples. In chapter two, the Holy Spirit comes and they begin preaching the word to the Jews and, 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 and to some Gentiles, but mainly to the Jews. And, and then we see a change happen in, in chapter eight and chapter nine. Chapter eight and chapter nine, we see the conversion of a man named Saul. He changes to Paul. And from then onwards, the, the book kind of takes off in a different trajectory. I want you to, to picture if it was as if, you know, the book of Acts, Luke is standing there with his, with his camera and he's, and he's taking a video of everything that's happening. And so far, you know, the, the main heroes on the stage are Peter and John and the other disciples. And, and you know, they're the big celebrities on the scene. But as soon as Paul comes along, the camera changes. You know, the director, Luke, takes his camera and all of a sudden now, the person that's at the main forefront is now Paul. And the book of Acts walks us through Paul and named his missionary journeys. Um, and we see in chapter, in chapter 15, what's just happened. Paul has gone, he's preached. He said that God has called him to preach the good news of the gospel to the Gentile people. And they have a discussion in chapter 15. You know, should we really be speaking to the Gentiles? And then they agree, yes, it's okay, we can go. And they're going, and, and just at the end of chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas, they've been, they've been visiting a few countries now, they've been visiting a few places, and, and, and they have a dissension, they have a disagreement, they have an argument over a man named John Mark. They have an argument over a man named John Mark, and it gets so heated that Barnabas ends up taking John Mark, and Paul takes Silas, and off they go. So Timothy joins Paul and Silas, and they go. And they go, to, they go to Philippi. And as they're here in Philippi, which is incidentally where the Philippians are from, we have the book in the Bible, the Philippians. As they're here in Philippi, they come across this woman in the marketplace. And this woman in the marketplace, she's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever been to London, and you see those statues that stand still or those, those statues that are painted in gold. And, and, and she's basically one of those kind of acts. You know, she's there in the street. She's there to entertain people and get some money. And basically, her special trick was that she could supposedly tell the future. She could say things that people have never seen before. And so as she goes, she goes and she's, and she's speaking to Paul. And, and Paul doesn't like the things that she's speaking. And Paul recognizes that this, this gift that she got is not of God. She's actually got an evil spirit inside of her. And so Paul casts out this evil spirit. And as a result, this woman no longer has the talent. She doesn't have the skill to you know, tell people's future anymore. And so the people are angry, you know. They've just lost their source of income. They're taking away the economy. And so they are furious. So they drag Paul and Silas. How dare you do this? How dare you come to a country and do that? So they drag Paul and Silas and they put Paul and Silas in prison. They put Paul and Silas in prison. And, and in Acts chapter 16, um, you can read it a little bit later, you have a fascinating story that happens. God rescues Paul and Silas from the prison. They're free to go. The jailman is he's even converted. His family's converted. So you see how the gospel is spreading now. There's calamity. They, they move and the gospel spreads. I wonder if that's the case in perhaps your life too. Perhaps your life has not been easy. Perhaps there have been arguments, there have been dis dissensions, there have been times where you've been metaphorically dragged by your scholars and dragged and thrown into a prison. What we do in those situations that are tough 
those situations that we think are falling outside of God's will, those situations where we think, God, where were you? Why are you not there to help me? It is those situations that are oftentimes the biggest opportunity for us to further the gospel. So oftentimes when we're pushed to our very limits, oftentimes when we're pushed out of our comfort zone, oftentimes when we're pushed away, that God's kingdom is allowed to spread. It almost forces us to grow. And we see this in Acts chapter 16. They leave and, and something quite funny happens at the end of Acts chapter 16. Um, of course, Paul and Silas, they're thrown into prison. And as they're thrown into prison, he was a very public thing, dragging through the street, thrown into prison. Um, but now that they've been, the prison doors are open, they've been, they've been released. Paul basically says, hey, you know, I'm a Roman citizen. And people are like, wait, what? Paul said, yeah, yeah, you know, you know, I'm a Roman citizen. And people couldn't believe it. Because remember, we, 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 we're looking at the New Testament with these, with these new glasses now. And, and you see, to be a Roman citizen was a huge thing. I mean, you know, we talk about, you know, being a British citizen now and, and the weight of the, the red passport, you know, as you walk through the, the hallowed halls of the, the airline or towards the, the airport and you, and you come with that burgundy passport, you know, it's this, this glorious, you know, rectangular thing that, you know, has so much power. But, but in those times, if you were a Roman citizen, I mean, no one could touch you. You were under the, the defence of Rome. And Paul basically says here, Hey, I'm a Roman citizen. So the Philippians, they, they realized, hey, we've done something wrong here. We shouldn't have put him in prison. And so they tried to just sneak Paul out of prison. And Paul says something really funny. He says, you know, I'm not going to go in peace. Like, you, you people have thrown me into prison in front of everyone. You make sure that I leave as well in front of everyone. So that happens. And Paul now comes to Thessalonica. And this is where we are in Acts chapter 17. This is where we want to spend most of our time. Acts chapter 17. I'm reading from verse 1. So they've come through now. Paul, Silas, Timothy. This is the backdrop. This is where they've come through. Acts chapter 17. Now, when they had passed through Amphiolus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. So they passed through in Thessalonica. There's a Jewish synagogue. There's a Jewish church. Verse 2. Then Paul, as was his custom, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures. So Paul goes in, there's a Jewish synagogue, and as was his custom, as was his tradition, as was, this is just what Paul does. He goes in, and for three weeks, Paul runs an evangelistic campaign. Paul runs a three-week-long week of prayer. And in this evangelistic campaign, he's there, and he's reasoning with them from the scriptures. That word reasoning, it's not a word that, you know, alludes to preaching. Paul isn't standing up in the front and preaching, but instead they're all huddled together. They're grappling with the text. But what are they talking about? Verse 3 says, he's explaining and demonstrating to them that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. Paul is there and he's basically saying, you know, they, they couldn't just believe it. Jesus had gone around saying, you know, he's the Messiah. He's the savior of the world. You know, he's come with this new kingdom, the kingdom of God. And remember, there's this contrast, the kingdom of Rome, kingdom of God. And the people were ready. Oh, my gosh. If the kingdom of Rome is this big, if the kingdom of Rome is this powerful, oh, my gosh. What then about the kingdom of God? It's going to be even bigger and even more powerful. 
and they're just ready. You know, they're ready for the power, you know, finally going to take over the Romans. And, and, and God, Jesus stands into them and he says, you know, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. And, and they're just ready. They're ready for this big bomb to drop. And, and Jesus, the kingdom of God, it's like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is when, when someone hits you in the face, turn the other cheek. The kingdom of God is being crucified to a Roman instrument of torture. That, that's what the kingdom of And the people just couldn't believe it. Now, how could this man suffer? And Paul here basically saying that Jesus had to suffer. He had to. And he had to rise again from the dead. And this Jesus is now the Christ. And the word here, Christ, it basically means the Messiah. It's not, you know, Jesus, forename, surname, Christ. You know, it's not Stephen, George, Jesus, Christ. You know, it's not Mr. No, it's Jesus, the Christ. Jesus, the Messiah. You know, it's not Mr. Christ. No, it's Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. And Paul is basically saying, this person I'm preaching to you, he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He, he wasn't joking when he said he really is the Messiah. And what happens? What happens when Paul preaches these things? Verse four, it says, and some of them were persuaded. How many? Some. Some of them were persuaded. A great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. We see something fascinating here take place. Something fascinating. We have devout Greeks, religious Greeks, not religious to the God of the God of Israel, but religious to their own gods. Some religious Greeks. These people are persuaded they join. And not just them, but women join Paul and Silas. They too believe. Again, this is a this is a revolutionary thing that's happening. The Greeks are now believing in a Jewish Messiah, and now women are also believing. So they join Paul and Silas. So what happens in verse 5? But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason. Okay, wow. What's happening here now is Paul and Silas at this time, they were staying in Jason's house. They were staying in the house of Jason. And, and like said in verse 4, some of the people were persuaded. It was mainly the Greeks and mainly the women. The Jewish people, mm -mm, they were not really, but they, they, they weren't budging. And because of that, they became envious. You know, they became a bit jealous and they took some of the evil men. So this is, I mean, this is, this is almost, this is almost comedic what's happening. It's almost humorous. The Jews, they become envious. This man is coming and he's, he's drawing all these people towards Paul. He's, he's preaching. So the Jews, they go into the town center. They go to Chelmsford Town Center. They walk down the high street. They, they go to that town center and they go get the thugs. They go get the gangsters. They go get the, the evil men, you know, the, the rough men. They go get those men and tell them to go attack Jason's house. And they go call these, these angry evil men to go and attack the house of Jason. And this is the punchline. I don't want you to miss this. Taking into account all that we've had with this, with these new glasses now, king of, king of Rome, king of God. This is the punchline. So they drag these evil men. 
call his email, come, guys, they're in Jason's house, go get them. And these evil men, you know, they're evil men. They're just looking to do some evil things. You know, they don't care who they're going to attack. Attack, okay, let's go. So they're going now. Verse six, verse six, verse six. And they're going. But when they did not find them, so they go to Jason's house and they're, they're ready to grab Paul and Silas. And, and verse six, when they didn't find them, they dragged Jason out instead. You know, these are evil men, you know. You know, we just want to do some evil things. So, okay, there's no Paul and Silas. We're going to drag Jason out. So they drag out Jason. They drag out his brothers. They drag out some other people in the house. And they bring them to the rulers of the city. So they drag them. And you can imagine they're dragging them through the street, punching them, kicking them. They drag them through the city. And they bring them to the rulers of the city. And then they say this. And, and don't miss this. If you, if, you, if you don't miss anything else, don't miss this. They drag them to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Oh my, can you say amen? These who have turned the world upside down, they've come here too. Those people, you know, we've been hearing rumors about, you know, these people that have been turning the world upside down. Yeah, guess what? They're in our city too. And you know what they're doing? Jason has harbored them. Jason, yeah, this, this man, he's been, he's been harboring them as fugitives in their house. He's been harboring them. And these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar. These are all acting against to the, to the decrees of the king of Rome. And what are they saying? Saying that there is another king. His name? Jesus. What, do you see what's happened here? They, they, they've gone and, they, and they've said that there is now another king. His name is Jesus. And, and as a result of that, the people, they, these, are not, these are evil men. Their reply and their acknowledgement is that they have come to turn the world upside down. Turn the world upside down. Turn the world upside down. You see, one of the reasons why the Roman kingdom was so powerful, it wasn't just because of the strength of the sword. See, many, many, many nations have been strong. Many nations have had power. But you see, the Romans weren't just all power. They were brains too. They used their brain. They were, they were, they were clever people. And, and they instituted something called Roman propaganda. Okay, Roman propaganda. And this was one of the main reasons why they were as strong as they were. They not only threatened to kill you, but they indoctrinated into your head that Rome was the only kingdom. They got into your heads. It wasn't just, you know, a knife to your throat, but they, they, they really got under your skin. And so these, these, these phrases, if we just think about it, all roads lead to Rome. This wasn't just a statement. I mean, they really built the roads so that every single road led to Rome. When you grew up, all you, all you heard was that Rome is the center of the world. Rome is this indestructible, you know, indefeatable kingdom. And so what happens in, in Roman times is they believed that Caesar was God. In those times, they believed that Caesar was the God of Rome and the God of the universe. And what happens was when Caesar eventually you know, died, eventually ended his term, they believed that Caesar ascended into heaven. 
They believe that Caesar ascended to heaven and now Augustus who took over was now the son of Caesar, you know, the adopted son of Caesar. And so now watch this, watch this. If you went and asked a Roman person or any person living in the Roman Empire between the first century, they would have, if you asked them, who is the son of God? Do you know who they would have said? They would have looked at you into your eyes and said, Augustus Octavian. Because that's what they were told. They were told Caesar has gone to heaven. Augustus has taken over. He is the son. And what did we say at the start? Do you remember what, what, what was special about Augustus Octavian? What did he bring to the world? Peace. Pax Romana. He brings his Roman peace. And so that's why we see here, we see this incredible parallel. We see Augustus Octavian, who, who to the people at the time was the son of God, bringing peace to everyone. What happens in Luke? What happens in the book of Luke when the, when, when the angels announce themselves to the shepherds on the field? Then the angels, they come and they announce themselves to the shepherds on the field. They said, peace and good tidings to all men. Why? Because the Messiah has now come and he, the true king, the true son of God, has now come to give peace to all over earth. Do you see here the deceptions of Satan and how God is able to counter them every time? You know, there was this, this doctrination that God is the son of God, but no, it's Jesus and we see here that as Paul is going around and he's preaching to the place and as, and as Silas and Timothy and, and Jason and all the other people, as, as the gospel is growing and, 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 and growing in size, the people felt under threat. You know, what? There's now this new king? The world has been turned upside down. But there was all another thing. It resulted in them turning the world upside down. You see, you see, you see, to understand what religion meant in Rome, you see, religion in Rome was not connected to morality. And the reason why I say this is you could be religious and not be a good person. And this is a very strange concept to our Christian ears. You know, for us, you know, believing in God results in change. You want to do good and do the right things. But for them, it was very easy to go and pray to a God and go and kill a nation. There was no, there was no, there was no difference between morality and religion. And the whole function of religion in the Roman Empire was to keep yourself in favor with God. Go and do these sacrifices, do, do these rituals just to be in favor with God. Why? Because, because the gods were angry. And the gods were ready to curse you and punish you. And so you do these rites and rituals before you go off to battle to keep yourself in favor with the gods. And then comes to the scene a man named Paul and Peter. And, and they're preaching about this new king. This new king. And we turn your Bible with me to Romans chapter 5, verse 8. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. They are now preaching this new king. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 and it says but God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners Christ died for us. 
we see here a total inversion of power. A total inversion of what it means to do good and be right. You see, we have in the, in the Roman system of thinking, there's, there's these angry gods and we do our rites and our rituals to make them happy, to be in favour with them. But here we see the God of the Bible, the Christian God, his name is Jesus. And he not only has come to bring peace to all earth, opposite to Augustus Octavian, but he has now come to die for us. He's come to die for us. He's come to become sin for us. The God of the Bible, the God that Paul and Silas and, and, and many others were preaching at the time. The God of the Bible does not have a posture of hostility and anger towards you. The God of the Bible, his anger, his very posture towards you is not one of condemnation. It's not one of rejection. It's one of love. You see, if God wanted to, to condemn the world, he could have just sent a condemner. But, but you see, he wanted to save the world. So he sent a savior. His posture towards us is one of love. It's a posture of love. And so Jesus came into the world to turn it upside down. You see here these Roman systems of the way things was, you know, the supposed son of God, supposed peace to all earth. But Jesus comes in and turns that around. He says, no, I am the son of God. And I now have come to give peace to all men. And my posture towards you is not a posture of condemnation. It's a posture of love. And this turned the world upside down. I want to ask a question to you in closing. Does your world too need turning upside down? Does your world too need turning upside down? You see, for us, turning upside down is a negative con connotation. If you think of it as something negative, you know, if someone comes and you're, I don't know, you're having a, having a party for your child or you're having a small potluck and you say, oh, that man just came and turned everything upside down. You won't think, oh, that's a great person. Let me invite him again. No, this is a bad thing. Immediately you're thinking, oh my gosh, what did he smash? How many plates did he break? How much food did he drop? You're thinking of bad things. Turning the world upside down in our heads is not a good thing. And so when, when these men in Acts chapter 17 are saying, you know, they have come to turn the world upside down, what they think they're saying is that this Jesus person has come and made everything bad. He's turned everything upside down. But you see, turning upside down is a necessary action if something is the wrong way up. Did you get that? Some things need to be turned upside down if they're the wrong way up. So we, we use the example first of you're in the potluck and, and, you, and you invite some friends over and, and you hear someone turn the world, someone turned it upside down. You think, oh no, this is a bad thing. Say, for example, now you're driving along and, and you see a car that's crashed. The car has turned over. It's on, it's on its roof. And you hear the news and, and you go and you, you're so worried. And then you go on BBC News and you, and you find out that the M25, that the car that was turned, you know, that was on its roof has now been turned upside down. What do you think? 
you think, oh no, this is bad. It's been terrible. Don't you think, oh, that's, that's great news. I don't think this is a bad, I think it's a good thing now. It's, it's too the same with the world. Jesus has come to turn the world upside down, not because the world was perfect and good, and Jesus wanted to make a mess of it, but quite the opposite. The world was sinful. The world was not good. The world is full of sorrow. And Jesus came to turn that world upside down. And Jesus, too, is coming one day to finally turn the world upside down, to finally make an end to all that is wrong and evil. To finally put right what is wrong. Talk about the righteousness of God. What is the, the righteousness? Is the right making of God. God is coming to make all things right. God is coming to turn that world upside down. But the question is, are you willing to let him turn your world upside down? Are you willing to say, Lord, I recognize I am a sinner in need of a savior. You see, as long as we don't, we just go around living and, and thinking that, that we're okay, we're fine. But no, the message of Jesus is, is, is cutthroat at times. It pierces right to our very, to our very heart and to our very soul because, because, because Jesus has come to turn the world upside down. I wonder to just in closing, who is the king of your life? How does your life operate? You see, in the Bible, in the New Testament, there are only really two kings. We have the kingdom of Rome and the kingdom of God. And Jesus said it's for us to choose, you know, the kingdom of Rome and the kingdom of God. No one can serve two masters. And I wonder today, who is the king of your life? Have you accepted Jesus to be the king of who you are and what you do? Have you accepted him to come into your life and turn upside down what is wrong? Maybe there are sins. Maybe there are addictions. Maybe there are things that your wife or your husband or your children or no, no one knows about your parents. Don't. Maybe there are things that, that no one knows. Things in your life that you say to you, Jesus, I want you to come into my life. Be the king of my life and turn it upside down. And not turn it upside down in a bad way. But Lord, make things right. Turn it upside down. Turn, turn, turn what is the wrong way. Make it the right way, Lord. I wonder if that's you. I just invite you to bow your heads with me as we close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the gospel of Jesus. We want to thank you for the word that we've, we've heard tonight, Lord. We see throughout the scriptures there is this, this constant pull between the kingdom of Rome and, and the kingdom of God. And Lord, today, even in our own lives, we see this same tension, the same pull between between the kingdom of Rome and the kingdom of God in our hearts, Lord. Lord, we're sinful. We recognize that this evening, Lord. We recognize that we are in need of a savior. And Lord, we want to thank you for your grace. And we are asking that this evening, we want to make you the king of our life. We want you to right what is wrong. Lord, we want you to come into our heart and turn things upside down. And Lord, we know that's going to be uncomfortable. We know that's going to be painful. We know that it's not going to be easy. But Lord, we know 
that it's going to be okay because you have been with us this far and you are there with us through it. And so, Lord, we ask that those addictions, those, those sins in our life, those, those things that, that we keep seeking from everyone else, Lord, whatever they may be, Lord, we leave them at your feet this evening. Ask and praying and believing that you have forgiven us, that you love us. And so, Lord, we just, we just pray as we go into this week, as we go into the, to the end of this year, Lord, and as we come even closer to what is your soon return, as we come even closer to the day when you will make all things right for all eternity. Until that day, Lord, help us to be faithful, help us to be loving, help us to be kind and help us to be trusting in you. Because it's in your name we pray. Amen. can you unmute me? Thank you. Thank you, Stephen, for such a powerful message that God should come within into us and change our life so we also can be a part of changing this world upside down, like how they spoke about all the disciples or early Christians. Such a powerful message. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you all for you for joining uh, Vespers tonight. Before you all could leave, I've got a couple of announcements to make. Tomorrow morning, our church starts at 9.30 a.m. for PPT, Praise, Prayer and Testimony. Um, and at 3.30, we, we are starting our week of prayer, first day of our week of prayer instead of Bible study. It's going to be um, a week of prayer. You can see it on the screen. It's a virtual week of prayer, the purposeful journey. Uh, it, um, tomorrow it will be at 3.30. After that, it will be at 7.30. The announcement follows tomorrow. Good night, everybody. See you all tomorrow morning at 9.30 a.m. Bye, everyone. Thank you, Good night. Of course.